So last week we did City Church, a hospital, and we highlighted the value, come as you are. This week is City Church, a family, and it's highlighting this truth, connect with God. Now, all I'm really going to talk about today is the connect with God part and how we get into the family. Next week, we're going to be talking about City, City Church, a school. And in that message, I'm going to talk more about how God makes us relate as a family. So um, this is going to be mainly just about how we connect with God up front. So here we go. Point one, becoming a son. To understand the gospel and the God's purpose before the, 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 the time began, you have to understand two very important things. The gospel is about the Father choosing in eternity to make a bride for His Son. And at the very same time, the gospel is about the Son making a family for his father. The Holy Spirit is the one that works both of these, but this is the humility of the Trinity. So it's really important that women do not stumble over the language of becoming sons of God. Why, why do I have to become a son of God? Because only sons inherited in that culture. You, trust me, you want to be a son. Only sons inherit. And that's why the language of sonship is used. It's not about what sex you are. It's about a position of inheritance. This is equally important about men. I don't want to be the bride of Christ. I'm a man. I don't want to be the bride of Christ. Listen, it's not men. Women have to be sons and men have to be the bride. It, and, and with the bride, it's not, it's not about your sex again. It's about a position of intimacy. It's critical that men, to become real men, grab a hold of this position of intimacy whereby God makes us part of his bride. So, sons of God. Paul says here in Galatians that you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Here's the companion verse to Galatians 4. It's in Romans 8.15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. You are no longer slaves to fear, Paul adds in, in Romans 8.15. This is, this is critical to understand how the gospel works. Uh, John chapter 8, 35 and 36. Jesus says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free Indeed, 
The reason why a slave does not have a permanent place in the house, and 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves, was because the slave spot in the house is based on performance. Slaves did a task. They were there to cook. They were there to do the laundry. They were to do the farming. And, and while they did that, they were taken care of. But once they couldn't do that anymore, they were out of the house and you just got another slave because they were there for the performance of what they do. And that led to fear. Continual fear. Because I ha- I'm only in as long as I'm performing. As long as I'm good enough. As long as I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm in. But once I stop, I'm going to be out. This, this is the performance identity that comes under the law. You are always afraid that you're not good enough. You're always afraid that you're going to be rejected in the end because you were not good enough. So God in the gospel sets us free from the slavery of performance identity. And here's how he does it. Whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. The way he frees us from the fear of not being good enough is through adopting us as sons. He adopts us by his grace so that our security is not based on performance but on his adopting us. And so we're no longer slaves to fear because we're in. And here's the amazing thing. We're all the way in right at the beginning. We're not going to be in. We're not trying to be in. We are in right from the beginning. That is what the gospel does. That is how the gospel takes away fear. I want to give you two illustrations so that we can understand the, the two covenants. The first one is allowance and Christmas. So my father gave us an allowance every week of a quarter. This was money that we earned every week. We were tra- he was trying to teach us responsibility. And we, there was never a question that we earned that money because dad would pay us. Jimmy and I were in charge of the trash to take the trash out and then take it out to the trash area and then from the trash area to the curb and then the curb uh, when, when the, when the, after the garbage guy came to bring it back in and to keep that trash area right. And that was our allowance, 25 cents a week. It was Sunday afternoon. We always had to remind dad it was time for our allowance. And he would say, well, let's go out and find out if you get your allowance this week. And he would walk us out to the trash area and he would examine our work. And he, he was like, uh, there was always something wrong with the trash area. Uh, uh, there's a cigarette butt, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's uh, that, that, lit, yeah. And, and, and so, and then after he, he always looked unhappy, but finally he would reach into his pocket and it was like it was killing him to give us that quarter. <laughs> Allowance is what you earn and it is limited to the work you have done. It is limited to your performance. Christmas 
was completely different. My father went crazy at Christmas, giving us gifts they probably could not afford. Because Christmas had nothing to do with performance. It was about his love. The only limit to Christmas gifts, there were two limits to Christmas gifts. One was our family resources, and the other was our maturity. You can only trust a kid with a gift that that will be appropriate to his maturity, a, 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 big, a gift too big uh, that's beyond his, his maturity could destroy him. So, so the only limits were his resources and our maturity. But it's a completely different arrangement. Allowance, all about our work, and it's limited to what we deserve. Christmas all about his love and only limited by his resources and by our maturity. This is the old and the new covenant. The old covenant was based on allowance. You only got what you worked for. You only got what you deserved and it was limited. Any reward you got was limited to the work that you had done. Now it turned out the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was a setup for the New Covenant. Because it turned out the Old Covenant was a disaster for human beings. Because we were bad performers. We were never good enough. The law was way up here. God's holiness was way up here. And we were way down here. So God was always against his people in the Old Covenant. So God said, I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to make a new agreement. It's going to be based on something completely different. So Jesus came under the law and he died for us on the cross. He was good enough. He he was the only one that's performed good enough. The only one that didn't deserve to die. And he bore death for every one of us. He satisfied God's holiness So that a new covenant could be opened up based not on our performance, but only on God's generosity. But it doesn't set aside God's holiness because Jesus Jesus took the wrath of God against sin. So the new covenant that God has set up is based on his love for us and the only limits our our maturity. Why? Because his resources are unlimited. I want you to hear the heart of God. When when, When Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit is poured out, they're like, what is going on? And Peter stands up and he says this. This is a fulfillment of Joel 2. God says in the last days, I'm making a new covenant. In the last days, it's not just going to be parceling out a little of my spirit once in a while. In the the new covenant, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. On men and women, on sons and daughters, and they're going to prophesy. I am going to be unlimited in what I can pour out. Because it's no longer based on human performance, but only on divine love and grace. This is the new covenant. 
I'm going to give you one other illustration to help us. This is really, it's really easy to understand here, and it's really hard to get here. Here's another illustration that might help us. Dennis the Menace. <laughs> Dennis is the really naughty kid. Their next door neighbor are Mr. and Mrs. Wilson. Mr. Wilson just can't stand Dennis. He's always irritated by Dennis. Mrs. Wilson unexplainably just loves Dennis. Scene one. Dennis and his friend Joey are eating this big plate of cookies. Scene two, Joey says to Dennis as he's eating, I wonder what we did that Mrs. Wilson made us these cookies. Scene three, Dennis says this, Joey, Mrs. Wilson doesn't make us cookies because we're good. Mrs. Wilson makes us cookies because Mrs. Wilson is good. This is the, the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant is about what we did, about what we deserve. This is what comes natural to our mind, natural to our understanding. Listen, there, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, and that way ends in death. There's a way that we think it should be, and we, we just think this is how it should be, that good people get rewarded, bad people get punished, and of course, we put ourselves in the good people category, and... Uh, The truth is, is good people are rewarded and bad people are punished. The only problem is there's only been one good person and that's Jesus. Everybody else has been bad. That's the gospel. So God changes it from about what we did and what we deserve to I'm going to just make this all about my goodness and what I want to give. Completely undeserved for gift. So the way into the family of God, the way to become a family, is to just receive the gift of adoption. Jesus knocks at the door and we say yes. And he comes in and he adopts us. This is the purpose of God, that you would join the family of God by becoming a favored son for all eternity. This is how the gospel functions. Point two is breaking entitlement. Galatians 4, 28 through 30. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. So Galatians 4, Paul goes off and it's, frankly, it's a little complicated to understand. He uses an illustration and he talks about um, Hagar, which was the, the slave woman, and Sarah, which was the bride, and he talks about their two children. One children, one child was named Ishmael. And Ishmael was born the natural way. There were no miracles involved. It was, uh, and, 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 and what he says is Hagar represents the old covenant. And what the old covenant produces, which is Ishmael. 
And then he says, Sarah represents the new covenant, and Isaac, her son, represents what the new covenant is going to produce. And the point is this, is that Isaac was not born the natural way. Isaac was born because of a miracle. God simply made a promise. Abraham and Sarah believed the promise, and then God miraculously, miraculously caused this birth. This is the new covenant. The believer's job in the new covenant is to believe. And we supernaturally are born again. We are supernaturally born from above. We're supernaturally adopted just because we believed the goodness of God and the promise of God for salvation in Christ. When you come to Christ and you believe his death and resurrection was good for you and you believe that promise and you genuinely open, open your door, Christ comes in and adopts you and you're, you're born again supernaturally just because you believed a promise. The power of it is not what we do, it's what he does supernaturally. Now, here's where it gets difficult for us. You need to put away the natural man because God has ordained that the natural man will inherit nothing. Pastor Tom, what on earth does that have to do with us? What do you mean put away the natural man? What do you mean put out the natural man? Because he will inherit nothing. Here's what it means. When you are born again, you have two things going on inside of you. One is the supernatural life of God. And one is your natural tendency to go back to your own performance. And what's going on in the church in Galatia is uh, Galatians 3.1. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You started in grace, you started in the spirit, but now you've gone back to the law. You've gone back to performance. And he says to them, examine yourself. In, in verse four, chapter 4, verse 15, he says, where is that sense of blessedness that you used to have? It's gone. Why? Because it's the most natural thing for us to go back to performance. Even though we get, we get saved by grace, we get born again, the most easiest thing to do is for us to go back to trying to be good enough. And the problem is, is that guy inherits absolutely nothing before God. So they've lost, uh, Galatians 4.15, they've lost that sense of the presence of God. They've lost that sense of blessedness, that sense of favor, that I'm a, I'm a favored son, and they've gone back to something else that has no power, has no presence of God. But it's very deceiving to them because they still believe the same thing. They still go to church. They're still serving in the, as an usher. They're still doing the outward stuff, but the joy is gone. The sense of wonder is gone. The sense of the miraculous is gone. The sense of laughter is gone. They are now just, live, they're, even though they're, they're truly born again, they're living like slaves in the new covenant. Here's the picture of it. Luke chapter 15. 
verses, I think it's 29 and 30, 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf. So he's very, very confused about his father. He's very confused about his own life. He cannot understand why I'm not getting anything even though I'm the obedient one. I'm the one that's keeping all the commandments. I'm the one that's serving you day and night, and I'm not getting anything. And this other son, who's done just the opposite, you, ha- you, you kill the fattened calf and you have a big party for him. And so the father, the father tries to explain this to him. And he says, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Guys, you can't earn as a reward what is yours by inheritance. And what's happening is, because he's in the performance identity, even though he's a son, even though he's a legitimate son, he's living by performance, and so he's getting nothing. Why? God has ordained that the, the, the natural man will inherit nothing. So many, many Christians are confused. Because I never feel the love of God. I never experience the presence of God. I, I never, and, and it, 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 all, it all comes back to this thing of slipping back into the natural way of thinking, the natural way, and then being confused that what, what, what changed? It's very easy to be bewitched and go back to the performance identity. All right, so let's talk about breaking entitlement. So uh, 2007, we were going through trauma as a family because my oldest son fell away from Christ. He went to college and became convinced of other things and, and came back and announced to us that he was no longer going to be a Christian. And so we're already hurting and suffering. And, uh, but there's also this tremendous opportunity and and so clearly, God, that we're going to come to Madison and we're going to be part of this church called Mad City Church and it's going to be awesome and we're going to have revival and my son will come back. And, and, and so we, I comfort myself in the midst of this suffering to, to come to Madison and we come to Madison and the people, some of the people that brought us there felt, felt whatever. It, it led to bad things and um, hurt, and I felt betrayed by some of the people that we came with, and another church started, and, and this is just simply not what I signed up for. This is, everything's going the wrong way. I felt like I was obedient. I felt like I sacrificed everything, and, and everything was going the wrong way, and, but those two things could easily be attributed in my theology to, the, we're dealing with broken human beings, and broken human beings are going to do broken things, and that's not on God, that's on people, but there was one thing that I, 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 had, I had a problem laying it at anybody's feet except for God, and that was that our house didn't sell, 
here I am, obeying God, leaving everything, and all he's got to do is sell our house so that we can buy a house in Madison. The house won't sell. So we prayed hard and the house went sell. We had the church praying, the house went sell. Then the house sold, but then it fell through and then it sold again and it fell through again and then it, it really sold and then it fell through again. And, and, and I, I am just suffering. That might not sound like suffering to you, but I was suffering. I'm kind of a control person. And I, couldn't, I, I could not understand why God couldn't do this for me. Are you kidding me? After all I've done for you, after all I've sacrificed for you, you know I'm suffering in every way. I'm suffering because of my family. I'm suffering because of the church. I'm suffering in every way. And you, you, and, and it would, don't tell me that the economy's bad and the housing market's bad. Don't tell me that. You're God, for crying out loud. You can do whatever you want to do. Don't tell me you can't find one buyer for that house. And so, so I, I just suffer. I, we got to the point where we, were, we had the foreclosure papers. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm literally filling out the foreclosure papers. And the only reason we didn't foreclose on that house was because while I'm filling them out, I have a picture of the Rui family. The Rui family prayed for that house to sell every month, the whole family. And they would always send me notes. Has it sold yet? Has it sold yet? I'm like, no, it hasn't sold yet. Anyway, um, but I'm, and everybody else had stopped praying years ago. But the Rui family is still praying for this house to sell. And I'm trying to think about how I can make this sound like a victory to the Rui family if I foreclose. And I just, I'm sitting, I, got the, I started the foreclosure and I'm like, Lord, I'd rather go bankrupt than disappoint the Rui family. I, honestly, I'm not doing it. Whatever happens, happens, but I'm not doing this. So 2013, the house sells six years. Six years. The house sells in 2013. January 1st, 2016, three years after the house sells. We're down in Kansas City. We've been in four, at the One Thing Conference. We've been seeking God for four days. It's, it's, it's January 1st, 2016. We're in the hotel. I'm down in the lobby having my quiet time. I remember all of this very clearly. Having my quiet time. And I get a vision in my spirit. And here's the picture. I better look at that clock, okay? Um, the picture is this. I'm probably 10 years old. I'm sitting upstairs, leaning against my wall, crying really, really loudly. And I know immediately what this is because my dad had disciplined me. I felt like it was unfair. And I'm trying to get his attention by crying loud. I'm not a crier, but I'm trying to get his attention because I want him to come up and say he's sorry. I was waiting for an apology that would never come. And I'm not saying that sometimes fathers don't have to say they're sorry to their kids because they discipline for the wrong reason or out of anger or whatever. But here's what I saw all at once. I was waiting for God to apologize to me. Do you know what the older brother's doing? Do you know why he's not in the party? He's waiting for an apology. Do you want to know what Job is doing for 37 chapters? 
He is waiting for an apology because he has been mistreated, because this is wrong, because he's good, and, and he's now better than God because God should be doing this, and he just wants to talk to God, get together with God, and talk to God, and for 37 chapters, he's waiting for an apology. And then finally, God shows up. And Job has an encounter with God. Job 42, 5 and 6, he said, I had heard of you, but now I have seen you, and I repent in dustcloth and ashes. And what I saw was this. Is even though I knew all about grace and I was preaching grace, my identity was still performance. And God wanted to break entitlement out of me at an identity level. Not just for me, but because I'm a preacher. I affect a lot of people. What I say, what I do affects a lot of people. He wants entitlement out of his people. Now, I want to show you the poison of entitlement. Okay, here's Luke 17, verse 10. Oh, sorry, this is the part of the sermon they don't have. I finished this sermon while you were worshiping and the poor, the poor computer people, maybe they'll have it in the second. That's another reason to go to the second service. <laughs> Luke 17, 10, here's what it says. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Jesus has just told the story about this servant. They, the, the disciples ask, increase our faith. And Jesus says, he gives them this obscure story about this guy that goes out and he serves all day long in the fields. And then when he comes in, the master doesn't say to him, oh, now you poor thing, you sit down and I'll serve you. No, the master sits down and the, the servant serves him the meal after that. And then after he did that, then he says this to himself, I'm an undeserving servant. I just did what I was supposed to do. I just, I just fulfilled what I was supposed to do. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says this, so you, after you've served, after you've sacrificed, say this to yourself. I'm an undeserving servant. I've only done my duty. I am not entitled to something. Why is this so critical? There are two times that you get in great danger of entitlement. Number one is when you have served greatly, when you have sacrificed greatly, when you've done a lot for God, you've given a lot to God, you sacrificed a lot to God. And the other time that you're very vulnerable to entitlement is when you've suffered a lot from God, when you've gone through a very difficult time and unexplainable time and everybody agrees, you've suffered, everybody agrees this is wrong, everybody agrees, and you've suffered. Why? Here's how it works. Why don't I give you a story? Then we'll understand it. Easy. So there was a tele-evangelist in the mid-80s. Hugely, hugely successful. Had a great influence. And, uh, and then he was convicted for fraud and went to prison. And uh, turned out that 
the, the, just horrible things with money and horrible things with immorality was also discovered. He didn't go to prison for the immorality, but all kinds of these things. And, and the church and the body of Christ looks in, at, at that and says, how could that happen? How could that happen to a man of God? How could that happen to somebody God used in so many ways? Let me explain it. Because he, he told us why. He wrote a book called I Was Wrong. And here's what he said in the book. We felt like we were working so hard and influencing so many people that we were entitled to millions of dollars of salary. We, we felt like it, it, was, it was justified because we were working so hard and we were sacrificing so much and so we, were, we, we could justify. We, could, we were entitled to millions of dollars of salary and having an air-conditioned doghouse, for crying out loud. Living, living a life completely, it's all justified because we were entitled to it because of our great service for God. And then the immorality, he explained it this way. He said, I was under a lot of stress and my, life, my wife would no longer sleep with me. She was not interested in sex. And so I had a friend say, you need, I'm going to get you a call girl. I'm going to arrange a call girl for you so that you can, nobody will know about this, you will have sex. And he felt like because of his great suffering, because of his wife, unwillingness, that he was entitled to this. Great service or great suffering can make you think you are above the rules that everybody else is playing by and that somehow you, you bring justice to yourself. The older brother feels like he has an argument against the goodness of God. I have been mistreated. I've worked hard. I've, I've sacrificed. I've obeyed. And you haven't done anything for me. I'm good. You're not. Job feels like he has an argument against the goodness of God. I have... I have been righteous. I've done what is right. And his wife is there to help him. Here's what his wife says. And there are voices that will tell you this. Job, you have been mistreated. God has let you down. God is not good. You are good. You, need, you are justified in cursing God and just dying. This is what God deserves from you. Curse him and die. And the Bible says that Job holds on to his integrity. What's this got to do with us? Everything. Every one of us is at danger. And God wants to remove the poison of entitlement. That house, not selling for six years, probably the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> God wanted to go very, very deep and get this out. So here's, here's how we close. All right. Oh, got this. Watch right here. Boom. 19 to 10. I've got 19 minutes. No, I don't because the worship team's got to come back. Two essential truths. These are the two essential truths that we have to grab a hold of. Uh, uh, look at Romans 8, 32. They're probably not going to have it. Romans 8, 32. Here it is. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him 
freely give us all things. It's in God's heart to give us all things. But he only gives them freely. He does not give them on any other basis except freely. So here are the two truths. I'm going to to say them two different ways. Here's the two truths from how you view God. Number, no, two truths. First, how you, how, you view, view it, how you view God, and then secondly, how you view yourself. You could write these sentences down. Here's how you view God. The God who owes me nothing wants to give me everything. This is what Jesus did on the cross. This is because it's the heart of God. God owes me nothing. Actually, he, he, if I got what I owed, I would go to hell. The God who owes me nothing wants to give me everything. Now, here's, how to, here's to say the same two truths, but from our position. So at one and the same time, I am an undeserving servant and a favored son. Both of these need to be part of our identity. When those two things become clear, in, not just in our mind, but in our identity, it puts the amazing back into grace. I wrote a devotion called The Scandal of the Gospel, and I, I told about this angel that... Uh, a fictional story, but I, I want to I read what this angel um, comes into Gabriel. One of the lesser angels comes into Gabriel, and he says this to him. Sir, I'm here on behalf of the many angels that are having trouble grasping this new plan. Let me get this straight. Human beings who have rebelled against God and abused each other day after day, are being offered complete forgiveness, are being adopted as sons and daughters, and are being made kings and priests forever. Those who deserve hell are being given heaven. Is this fair? And what is God getting in return? Their weak faith? wavering love and often empty promises of obedience? Many of us don't feel this is right, sir. Here's Gabriel's response. It's not about fair. It's about God's love and generosity. This is how he wanted it. And we are to serve these heirs of salvation no matter how scandalous it may seem to you and me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. When you understand who you are and who God is and what the gospel is, your name, your name, in the Bible, name is identity. Your name, your identity will be Isaac. Isaac means laughter. When you understand your own sinfulness and you understand God's goodness, 
And what he wants to do for you, would you just believe? You will laugh. And it's not the laugh of cynicism. It's a laugh of pure joy. Are you kidding me? God's taking this transient being and sharing his eternal life with him? He's taking this rebel and he's not just forgiving him but adopting him? So he could just pour all blessings. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, we will be unpacking the kindness of God for all eternity. We don't even know what's all in this gift, but it's, the, it's, ab- it's about the kindness and generosity of God. When you understand who he is and who you are and what the gospel is, it will make you laugh. Now here's, here's the thing. Not just up front, but as your identity. Did you know that the joy of the Lord is your strength? God wants to put the amazing back into grace. We, we hang around church. We hang around the Bible. We hang around God. And we just become familiar and complacent. And we sing these songs. We, we don't even listen to what they're saying anymore. Guys, this is stunning. What heaven has done for us is stunning beyond all measure. It is it, it's so funny because the world always, in cynicism, says that's too good if it's, if, it's, if, it, if it's too good, if that's too good to believe. If it seems too good to believe, then it isn't. This is the one thing that really, it's, it's, it, it's so good you need to believe it. This, this is, this transforms everything. David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. God wants to put the amazing back into grace And he wants to restore your identity as Isaac. Could we stand together? We could have every head bowed for just a moment. Maybe you're here and your honest testimony before God is, I don't know I'm a child of God. I I don't know. I'm here today. I have some religion in my life. I believe in God at some level, but I don't know. If I'm a child of God, let me tell you something. Jesus died on a cross, rose from the dead, because he wants you to be his child. The Bible says he stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone, doesn't matter how much you've sinned, how often you've sinned, how horrible you've been, how self-righteous you've been, doesn't matter. If anyone hears that knock and opens the door, I will come into him. This is how we get adopted. Jesus comes in by the power of the Holy Spirit and he, 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 he makes us children of God as his gift. So if that is you, you can't say, I know I'm a child of God, but you want to become one. Every head bowed, every eye closed between you and God, but I want to pray with you because somebody helped me open my door and I like to help people open the door. So if that is you, would you just raise your hand real high long enough for me to see it? And we will have that prayer. Okay, I got, I got you, bro. Anybody else? I got that. I got you, bro. Anybody else? Looking up in the balcony now. We're going to pray this prayer. Anybody else? All right. All those who raise their hand. If you just slip your hand over your heart right now. Lord, we just agree with you. That our way no matter how hard we try, will always leave us short that we'll never be good enough. 
Lord, you owe me nothing because of all my sins. But Jesus, today I believe, by the, by the grace of God, I believe. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead for me. And I believe you want to live inside of me. I open my heart, Jesus. Come in and live. Come in and bring assurance, Holy Spirit, that I am a child of God, not because I've been good, because God is good. Would you do that, God, in Jesus' name? All right, here's the second group. You are in danger. You are, you are, you have justified sin. You've justified disobedience. You've neglected commands because you've suffered or because you've served in other ways. So you don't have to follow the rules other people do. You've gotten into stuff that it's all about entitlement and you've justified it. In a number of ways, it's very easy to justify sin in the middle of COVID because we're all suffering, we've all gone through this, so God understands. And, and God wants to remove that spirit of entitlement. He's here today to wash you, to cleanse you. <laughs> he, he wants to get underneath that thing. And he doesn't want to have to bring six years of something to, to get to this thing. So if, if that is you, would you just open up your hands and... Maybe we should all do this because even if we're not, we're all in danger of going there. And so, so let's just pray this. Lord, you're so amazingly good. Would you take that scalpel knife and get deep into our hearts and remove this sense of entitlement, the sense that I deserve something because I have suffered or because I have served or because I've given or because I've done this or that. Lord, we, we, we say it together. We are undeserving servants. <laughs> whatever we've done, whatever we've suffered, we are, we are not in your debt. Lord, remove that thing. God, I'm especially praying for those that have suffered greatly in this last year and just have justified all kinds of things. Lord, we, we just, we give you all of our justifications right now in the fear of God and say, please, God, please forgive me. Forgive me for that. I don't want to live entitled anymore. God, I repent of that. I repent of the things I said were okay. M remove that. Okay, now get ready for this. Now, God, would you at the very same time release into my identity this truth. The God who owes me nothing wants to give me everything. That I'm, I'm not just an undeserving servant. I'm also a favored son. Would you restore the joy of blessedness? Restore the joy of unearned favor. Reju restore the identity of Isaac to your church, Jesus. Ha! Ha-ha! I'm a child of God. I'm never going to die. God is amazing. Grace is amazing. God, let it never become old. Put the amazing back into grace. And I pray we would find ourselves giggling all day long. And for the rest of our lives, in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. <laughs> Woo!